All right, what's up? Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm on staff here. Uh, if I haven't met you, come talk to me. If you've got questions about these talks, I love hanging out afterwards. And so feel free to just come say hi, ask me your question. I'd love to meet you, talk to you about whatever you got. Um, hey, we're doing a, a habit series, which is a little bit different for us, kind of a mini series to start out the semester where we're talking about uh, the kind of the practical stuff of how do you actually do this Christian life thing? How do, you, how do you live as a Christian, which happens to be the best life that you possibly could live? Those two are the same thing. And so we're going to keep rolling in that this week. So I, I want to start out, I want to ask you this question. What are some of the biggest problems in your life? So what's the, what's the stuff that's tough for you, that, that bugs you, that makes life hard to live? Or you got something? I didn't give you a lot of time, but you probably got something that came, came to mind. Let me tell you what uh, they thought your biggest problem was going to be in the 60s. So in the 60s, there was this group of like futurists and sociologists that were predicting what would happen around this time in the future. And this is what they predicted that one of the biggest problems of Americans would be is too much leisure time. Just like way too much time where you don't know what to do with it. They predicted that we would be working 22 hours a week and 27 weeks out of the year. (laughs) And that the biggest problem would be that we would just be bored and couldn't fill up enough of our time. So do you guys really resonate with that? Like is that, you're, you're just feeling that. Like that's, yeah, 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 that's your... That's your biggest problem in life, I know that. So yeah, that's what I'm gonna talk about today about how to fill your leisure time. Um, nope, that was a joke. So uh, let, me, let me read to you what a current expert says is the actual problem that's happening and that current expert is getting a lot closer to what the real problem is. This is a, a well-respected Christian psychologist that said this, the number one problem you will face is time. In my experience, after 40 plus years as a therapist, most people are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life. I want you to hear that last line. Most people are just too busy. Not too broken, not too sinful, not too messed up, just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life in order to be a follower of Jesus. If you're hanging out before Salt Company and you ask somebody, hey, how's it going? Like, how you doing? What are you gonna hear? Oh, I'm doing okay. It's just really busy. Like, almost every time. There, I mean, I, I'm not calling you out by name, but there was three of you before Salt Company that said, that, like, almost exactly that thing. And I do the same thing. Guys, I'm tired. Like, not just physically tired, which, which I am. Graham does not believe in sleep. Um, but like soul tired, just exhausted, right? And it's not just that, that we're busy. I'm not talking like specifically about that because we all have a lot of stuff in our life. That's normal. That's just like being a human and doing stuff with your life. But where it becomes a problem is when you become hurried, when your solution to the busyness is to essentially speed up your pace and just pack more and more and more stuff into your life until you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you're incapable of ever stopping, of ever taking a breath. And I think sometimes we can get stuck in that and just assume that that 
has to be our circumstances, that we're just victims of our circumstances and that's just how life is. But I don't want to give up. I don't wanna accept that as true. And, and here's the good news is that Jesus offers you an entirely different reality. Listen to this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me if you're tired, and I will give you rest. And I love that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Finally, someone who's not asking more of you, but is taking something off of your plate, who's carrying things for you. That's what Jesus offers. And I want that life so bad. Like, how good does that sound? But if I want that, and if you want that, why does it feel like none of us have that? Why are we not actually experiencing that life that Jesus said that we could live? Well, there was, a, there was an illustration that I, that I read in a book, um, and I gotta give him props for this book. So his name's John Mark Comer. The book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I am, yeah, woo, okay, cool. Um, he's, like, he's like getting popular right now. He's like a thing, and yeah, it's whatever. Um, so, and I got to give him props because I just jacked a lot of his stuff from that book and I'm talking about it. I'm like putting my own spin on it, all right? So I didn't steal all of it, but I got to give him props. Um, I don't agree with everything that Comer has to say. So if you listen to him and reading him, filter it through scripture, but I respect him a lot and that book is incredible. Um, and one of the analogies that he gives is that there's these group of runners that live across the street from him that come out prancing from their house at like 5.30 in the morning every morning. And they're rocking their spandex and they just look good. And he's like sitting there watching them and, and admiring their life, right? That, that, that they're strong, they're looking good, that they can go on their entire workout and come back essentially not breaking a sweat and that they're in this incredible physical condition. And he's talking about sitting there and going, man, I wish I had that life. Man, I wish I was like them. But then he starts to think about the lifestyle that he would have to have to have that life. And he's thinking about how he's chilling, like watching a TV show when they're going to bed at like nine o'clock at night after eating three strips of celery. And, and that they're constantly running the, the uber discipline that they have to have in order to create that life. So in order to have a life you want, you have to be willing to live the lifestyle to get that life. And he just concludes like, I don't know if that life is worth living the lifestyle. And I think that's true for some of us in this room with Christianity. As you hear this idea about how Jesus can offer you rest and you come to Salt Company and you hear some of the amazing things that Jesus has done for you and you say, man, I want that, I want that life. But then you're unwilling to actually conform your lifestyle to live like a Christian and following the example of Jesus. And, and here's what I want you to know. I'm pumped that you're at Salt Company. Keep coming, but you gotta know that's not Christianity. You, you can't just take the benefits of Christianity and have nothing in your life change. In order to get the life of Jesus, you need to live the lifestyle of Jesus. And so, so this is how this relates to hurry and to following Jesus is this is what it will take in order to have a vibrant spiritual life with Jesus is you will have to change intentionally some of the rhythms and patterns and emphases in your life. 
You'll have to reorient your life in order to get more time present with him and you'll have to remove distractions systematically from your life. And the question is, is whether it's worth it to you. And the difference between the analogy and Jesus is that not only is having Jesus amazing, but the process is actually also amazing. It's really hard, but it's incredible. It's so worth your life. It's so worth it. But are you actually in? If you are in, here's what I want you to know is that in order to eliminate hurry from your life and to to be more present with Jesus, it's not gonna just magically happen. There's nothing, there's no silver bullet that you can do to just sort of add some more time to your life where all of a sudden you're just like a monk, you're just sitting around praying and, and basking in the presence of God. That's not gonna happen. It doesn't mean removing all busyness. It means learning to be present with Jesus in the chaos of life. It's learning to choose presence with Jesus instead of just adding more and more to the pace of life. And so that's what I wanna talk about for the rest of the time is what would that look like to live like that? And here's some ways that you can eliminate hurry from your life and add the presence of Jesus to your life is you need to fight distraction and abide in Jesus. And then you need to embrace your limits. So let's talk about that. First one, abide in Jesus and get rid of your distractions. John 15, verses one through five. I'd love it if you'd flip there with me. If you've got a Bible app or a Bible, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screens too, but I want you looking at the text with me. This is what it says. John 15, one through five. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How crazy is that last line? Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing of spiritual significance. Now, when you're reading the Bible, a helpful trick is pay attention to repeated words. So look at that text. What are the repeated words that you're seeing? There's a few of them. It's talking about fruit a lot. But one specific one that it's talking about all the time is abiding. So here's what that means. It simply means to, it means to stay. Some, some translations translate it to remain. It, or, or another way to put it, more relevant to what we're talking about tonight, is to set your attention on, to give your attention to Jesus is what it means to abide. Now question, why is Jesus talking so much about how to abide in him? The answer is because if you don't, you'll die. Did you catch that logic? So, so you are a spiritual being just like you're a physical being. It's, it's equally as real that you are a spiritual being. In fact, your spirit will last longer than this physical body does. And just like your physical body, you can live and you can die spiritually. And what Jesus is saying, he's giving this analogy of a vine and some branches. And he's saying that he is the vine. In other words, that he is the life source, the lifeblood, and that we are branches that are attached to that lifeblood. And the way that we live is by staying attached to him. But if you cut off a branch from a vine, what happens? 
The vine doesn't die because it's the life source. The branch dies. So this is what this is saying is if you are not abiding in Jesus, if you're not setting your attention on him, you're like a branch laying on the ground trying to live. It just won't work. You can't produce life in and of yourself. You have to be connected to the vine. So this is what that means is that anything that distracts you from abiding in Jesus chokes out your spiritual life because it slowly cuts you off from the source of life. So here's my question, is what in your life is distracting you? What in your life is distracting you and therefore cutting you off from the life of Jesus? I've got a quote for you that that really hit me from John Ortberg. He said this about distraction. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. That man, that the mediocre thing got me. I, I hate that idea of mediocre. I don't want a mediocre life. I want to live for something that matters. But do you catch what he's saying is the majority of us are not going to screw up in our life and our faith by some sort of massive falling out, but it'll be these little steps slowly over time where we forget about Jesus more and more and we become distracted by other things in this world more and more. <clears throat> so as all of you guys know, I'm sure, Kobe Bryant passed away this week. And it was crazy how influential that dude was. And, and I, I didn't realize how much he mattered to so many people. And as I've been seeing all of these reactions pour in, it's, I, it got me a little bit. It, it rattled me a little bit because I just started thinking about life and what we're living for and and. Man, death is so weird and it's so foreign and it, it like shakes you. And I'm watching all these people around the country that are just like shaken by his death. And here's the thing, Kobe, uh, he by all accounts lived a, a pretty remarkable life. I'm not talking about morality necessarily or whatever, but he was one of the greatest basketball players that the world has ever seen, partially because of skill, but largely because of the, the sheer attention and work that he gave to his craft, right? And so he built, by all accounts, an unbelievably successful life in this life. But here's the thing. On Sunday, Kobe stood before Jesus Christ. And how good he was at basketball did not matter. His greatness on this earth, the things that he lived for on this earth, did not matter as he stood before the God of the universe. The only thing that mattered in that moment is what he said about Jesus Christ and if he had lived for him. And I'm not making a comment on that. I don't know what he believed. I don't know the specifics of how he lived. I'm not making a comment on that. I'm just saying that his ability to be good at throwing a ball in a hoop does not help him at all in eternity. And this is what I want to say to you. The grades that you're getting when you stand before the God of the universe, will not matter. You all will stand before him. The job that you have, the successful career that you have, 
the amount of money, the amount of friends, if you live this adventurous life, none of that will matter. The only thing that will matter is what you say about Jesus Christ and what your life said about what you believed about him. And in particular, what will not matter on that day is if you are really good at Fortnite. It will not matter. All right, I gotta go off on this one for a minute. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite rants. A recent study showed that men the age of 21, at, by the time they turned 21, had averaged 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000, at least, is that what you just, <laughs> all right, yeah, at least. Uh, 10,000 hours is a lot of hours. Okay, you could memorize the New Testament in 10,000 hours. Uh, take 10,000 hours, divide it in half just for fun, and then divide it in half again just for fun, spend that amount of time sharing the gospel, and I guarantee you that you would have a legacy of people that you had led to Christ. And, and now some of you are getting a little defensive, all right? And, and you're thinking about last week, and you're like, oh, says the guy who watches fail compilations on YouTube. <laughs> all right. Touche, video gamer. You got me, okay? It's true, like, I also get distracted, but here's the thing, I'm working on it. I don't wanna be a distracted person and the point isn't to be perfect, the point is to take a step. And look, I'm not saying it's bad all the time, but if it's a, a consistent and a constant in your life that's distracting you, don't you wanna live for something better than that? All right, it's easy to bag on video games. Let's name some other addictions. Netflix. You, you watch the show and then that little timer says, Next episode, we'll start. And it's like, well, I can't stop it now. And so you watch it, and then you wake up three days later like, what happened? Um, Netflix, your phone, that, that little addictive monster in your pocket that is yelling at you all the time. Look, and not, and not just um, the amount of time that you actually spend on your phone, but the fact that you're constantly interrupted that you can't do anything with central focus because you've got this stream of interruptions that no human being can actually handle, but we're addicted to it and we like it because we like the idea of thinking that we're unlimited and that we could be all places at once, but that's only a God thing. We're human beings who are limited and it doesn't work. Social media. I wanna read you a quote that I, I read at Salt City Church. So if you haven't been to Salt City Church, you should come. It's graduate, it's on campus. You should come Sunday mornings. Um, but I read this at Salt City Church, um, but it's worth repeating. This is a, a quote from Sean Parker, who was the first president of Facebook, talking about what social media is doing to us. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. That's social media. The thought process that went into building these applications was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscience attention as possible. We need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever, and this is going to get you to contribute more content, and that is going to get you more likes and more comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. It's exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Do you see that? They're playing you. Like, you, you are not the consumer of social media. You are the product. 
Here's what I mean by that is advertisers, big advertising and big tech companies are buying and selling you. Advertisers, advertisers are buying you and social network sites are getting good at distracting you so that you'll come back for more and more and become addicted to their product and they'll make more money off of you. Now, is social media evil? Yes. Um, no, it's not. It's not. Part of me thinks, yeah, I, you know, I'm still debating, but no, it's not. Okay, use social media. Be a normal human being. You don't, you, know, you don't have to isolate yourself from this stuff, but as a Christian, you have to engage in all facets of your life intentionally, especially when something like that is stacked up against you and is trying to own you. You're set free in Christ, so don't be controlled by anything, including your phone. Jesus being Lord of your life means that he needs to be Lord of your time. Social media and technology can't be Lord of your time if Jesus is Lord of your time. Now, I gotta stop for a second and explain something because I'm reminding myself too much right now of like my curmudgeon old church that just told me never to do anything wrong and gave me a bunch of rules, and I hated that. And I don't want you to get that impression that what I'm saying or what we're saying at Salt Company is just follow a bunch of abstract rules because you should. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is there's an opportunity for a better life if you're willing to give up something less significant. So Matthew 13, says this. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. You catch what's happening? A, a guy finds this incredible treasure in a field that is not his own. And so he goes back and he gets rid of everything he has, but it's not out of obligation, it's out of joy. Why? Because he uses the thing that he gave up to get something far better. And so he's not concentrating on what he gave up, he's concentrating on what he gets out of that. So, I don't remember when this was. I, it might have been last year, two years ago, but I like tried to illustrate something similar like this at Salt Company. I was talking about how much better heaven is than this life and not getting distracted by this life and like waiting for heaven. And so I had 20 bucks on me and I asked people if anybody had a quarter. And I told them if, if uh, the first person to pull out their quarter, I was gonna hand them 20 bucks. And so people are like scrambling for their quarters and somebody came up with a quarter. I don't remember who it was. If you're here, don't raise your hand because I'm about to rag on you a little bit. Um, not really. But so, so somebody pulls out their quarter, right? And I literally go to make this exchange. My plan is to give them an actual $20 bill in exchange for a quarter. And then she went, no, I don't want to give this to you. It's my Aldi quarter. Okay. So... So I've got, I've got a little bit of explaining to do, all right? So, so if you're not, like if you haven't been around this thing a lot, Christians love Aldi, all right? <laughs> I don't know why we just love it, all right? And I'm also on the bandwagon. And uh, Christians love Aldi, so we all go to Aldi. And here's the thing that you need when you go to Aldi is the carts are like locked up with these quarters as like an accountability system so that you bring back the cart, right? So, so you put this quarter in a little slot and then you get your cart out. But here's what that means. If you show up at Aldi and you don't have a quarter, you're screwed unless you find somebody who's really nice and just gives you their cart. So Aldi quarters are a big deal and you need to have one on you at all times, all right? So that's the context of this. 
But what was she missing? That if she would have given up her Aldi quarter, she would have had 80 Aldi quarters in exchange. She would have been swimming in Aldi quarters, right? And, and could have bought in like half the store with 20 bucks. It's so cheap. Um, but here's the deal. She was distracted by the thing in the moment and didn't see how much better what she was getting could be. I think some of us live in Christianity like that. And so what I'm saying when I tell you to give some things up so that you can follow Jesus is not just, hey, give some things up because you should. I'm saying, hey, give something up so you can get something far better. And so for me, I don't do this stuff because anybody's making me. I do it because it's a better life. It's the life that I wanna live. So what are some of the habits that we can put in place to help us be less distracted. All right, first one. Learn how to just sit in silence and not freak out. Okay, Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. It's called silence and solitude. They used to do it for days or even weeks at a time. Baby steps, people, okay, we're not there, but teach yourself just to do it for a few minutes at time. And here's the purpose of it, is to calm down your body and your mind and to learn to at least just be present and stop freaking out and experience the love of God and potentially learn to hear the voice of God, which he describes as the still small voice. You've gotta get rid of all that's going on in your head. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do it right now, okay? If you're new to Salt Company, we don't do weird stuff like this all the time, but we're rolling with this. So here's what I want you to do. We are gonna be silent for a minute and I want you to think about nothing but your own breath. Just sit there and breathe in and breathe out. Don't think about anything else. And it will be for a previously determined period of time, which I will watch on my clock, but I'm not telling you how long it is. Silence. Ready, set, go. All right, so how'd it go? Some of you were thinking, oh my gosh, how long will this go on? Is this 20 minutes? It was, it was a minute, okay? Uh, how successful were you in being completely undistracted? Some of you were thinking, what is that music playing in the background? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Um, here's the thing, I want you to think about what just happened. So maybe for you, your mind was just going crazy and you couldn't get it to stop. Here's what I want you to realize is that's happening to you all the time. You constantly, your brain is going a million miles an hour and it's exhausting. And so you wanna learn how to calm yourself down. 
For some of you, maybe it was really great, and that was the first time that you've just stopped in as long as you can remember, and you felt your body start to calm down and relax, and there was nothing to worry about. You were just present in the moment. Okay, that's the goal, is to be present in the moment and then learn how to be with Jesus in the moment. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Get up a little bit earlier in the mornings and do that. So even if it's just 10 minutes, make yourself a cup of coffee, sit on the couch, and just be quiet. And it will be unbelievable how much different, differently your day will go. And, and I promise you, it will be worth it to lose like five or 10 minutes of sleep to not immediately get up and run out the door because you're starting your day unbelievably stressed versus just having a moment to just stop and learn in that moment to experience the love of God. And eventually maybe you start praying with him and talking with him in the silence. Habit along with this, limit your use of technology. Limit your use of technology. Um, so there's this button on the side of your phone that when you press it, your phone goes dark. And it's amazing because all of a sudden no one can get in touch with you. And you're thinking, man, that sounds, maybe you're a little freaked out by that. No, it's incredible. So do that every day. At some point during the day, not just on silent, shut that thing off and put it in a drawer and just be present with like the actual world around you. For me, this is what this looks like. I try and shut my phone off for at least an hour every day. My phone has a bedtime, and it's before my bedtime. It goes to bed before I do, and it gets up after I do, after I've read the Bible. One of the worst things you could do is wake up and immediately look at your phone. That's a horrible way to start out the day. Uh, not just your phone, other technologies. So for me, I watch TV. Uh, I, I make sure that there's at least two days a week that I'm not watching TV or Netflix. And it's been awesome. I'm reading more, I'm like, I'm having more conversations with, with Jessamy and I'm trying to actually expand that. Limit your technology use, whether it's TV, video games, whatever. All right, so learn to fight against distractions so that you can abide in Christ. Next one, embrace your limits. Embrace your limits. Here's what I want you to know. You are a human being, not a machine. Human beings are valuable and loved even though they have limits and even when they're not performing. Machines are evaluated on efficiency and productivity. And I see you guys doing this where, where you feel like your worth and significance as a human being is in question and you're evaluating that worth and significance based on your ability to be efficient or to produce. And what's happening is you're losing a piece of your humanity and you're constantly in this grind. You know the grind, you know what I'm talking about, where you're just going all the time and you feel like you gotta succeed and you never can stop and there's always more that you should be doing and you feel guilt when you're not doing those things and you're just grinding because you feel like you have to produce and perform. I want you to remember last week, Psalm 103, where it says that God remembers that we are dust, which is a way of saying that he remembers that we're not eternal like him, that we're not as strong as him, that we're limited and we're weak. And us being dust doesn't repulse God, but it actually draws him in closer to us. And so embrace those limits on your life. So habits, to embrace your limits, not to fight against them. Sleep, 
done, okay? Just sleep enough. Take care of yourself. Figure out a way to set your schedule so that you can get enough sleep. Honestly, a lot of your spiritual freakouts where you're doubting God, go take a nap and come back and talk to me. You'll be fine. It's biological, people. You gotta do it. Quit pushing against it. Healthy rhythms, take care of your body, eat right, exercise. All of that stuff is related to your walk with Jesus. It's not separate. It's part of it. Create margin in your life so that you can just be a human being who knows how to enjoy your life and not just constantly producing. Learn how to say no. It is a beautiful word. Hey, you wanna come study with me and not actually study, but just sit there and be on unpre- No. Hey, you wanna join your eighth extracurricular activity because it'll look good on your resume? No. Josh Langland comes up to you and he's throwing the fifth party of the week and you went to the other four. No, Josh, I'm not coming tonight. You should go home and sleep too. Just sit alone for a while. It'll be good for you, right? Say the word no. Embrace your limits. You're a human being. You're not God. It's okay that you need to rest. It's okay that you're not perfect. It's okay that you're not the greatest person in the world. It's okay if someone is better at something than you because you are loved by God. And he is everything that you're not. And so just enjoy the fact that you don't have to be the God of the universe, but that you can trust the one who is. But it's hard to embrace our limits because it feels like you still have something to prove. So ultimately we get distracted, not because any of us wants to waste our lives, but because we're escaping. When you're constantly distracting yourself, there's something going on. There's insecurity, there's pain from your background, there's doubt, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's something going on that you just don't know how to address, and so you run. And so Netflix becomes the anesthetic for your soul. You numb yourself. Or if you're not running, you're working. You're in the grind, you're worrying, you're trying to achieve, you're trying to fix whatever has gone wrong in your life. And here's what's happening when you're in that moment, when you're in that grind, is that you have forgotten the love of God. Zephaniah 3:17 says this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I love, man, I love that whole thing, but I specifically love, he will quiet you with his love. Here's what God will do, is he will enter into the chaos and the frenzy, and the busyness, and the hurry of your life. And he'll throw his arm around you, and he will quiet you in his love. And in him, you can feel like you can just breathe for the first time. Because in him, there's nothing left to achieve, to earn, to prove, because Jesus achieved it, earned it, and proved it for you. You're attempting to be the perfect human being. Jesus was the perfect human being. He proved it with the most incredible human life that has ever been lived. 
And then he established his unending love for you in pursuit of you by willingly walking to a cross for you. And then he demonstrated that death can't hold you, that your sins aren't held against you, that you've got nothing left to prove by getting out of the grave and inviting you into his new life, not on your merit, but on his merit. And not only does he quiet you with his love, but he quiets your accusers. Who's your accuser that's driving you and saying, perform, get it done. You're not doing enough. You're not valuable. You need more. Who is it? Is it your parents? Is it their perception of you, their desire for you to succeed or your perception of their desire for you to succeed? Is it your friends who you're trying to prove to them that that you're something better than you actually are? Is it an employer? Is it a professor? Look, You don't have to achieve value because Jesus is valuable in your place. And maybe the biggest accuser is you. Maybe it's your own standards, your own desire to be something. Here's what you need to know is Jesus already is something and he offers that to you for free. And so the only thing left to do is not to earn it, but to enjoy it, to rest into it and let it become the place where you live, the thing that's true of you. There's no more work left to be done. Jesus said it is finished. There's no more grind. There's nothing to prove. Slow yourself down and rest into the love of God. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks that that's true, that we don't have to earn it, that we don't have to achieve because you did all of that for us. Thanks that while our lives are chaotic and busy and while we're stressed, that you are the prince of peace, that you are always at peace because you're always in control. Nothing ever stresses you out. Nothing ever worries you. And you offer us access to that life. You offer us a new life an easy yoke, you offer to take our burdens off of us and you offer us rest. And so God, I pray for the people that are weary and heavy laden, that are exhausted, that are tired of grinding and feel like they can't stop. Would they get a taste of what your rest is like tonight? And when they keep coming back to abiding in you over and over and over again until we get to see you face to face. Thanks for everything you've done. Amen.